Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So Paul and Silas set out by the Church of Antioch to go and to be missionaries. And this is on the second time that they've gone out on missionary trips. And as they go, they come to a place called Philippi. And um, they end up getting thrown in jail in Philippi. Not just thrown in jail, they get beaten. Severely beaten. Uh, in modern parlance, we would say they were caned. Okay? Uh, severe injuries, problems. And they were thrown into jail. Didn't know what was going to happen. Well, we know that story, most of us, right? God miraculously... Uh, he sends an earthquake, uh, the, the prison doors open up, and Paul and Silas run away, right? You guys paying attention this morning? No, they didn't run away. They were singing hymns, worshiping God. They didn't run. The jailer comes in because he thinks that they've escaped and he's going to kill himself because that's what the Romans are going to do to him because he let the, the prisoners escape. But they're there, and he says, oh, what must I do to be saved? And Paul explains it to him. And uh, he, he receives Christ as Savior. His household comes to receive Christ. And, and, and then Paul and Silas set off down the road and continue. And they come to a place called Thessalonica. And when they went into Thessalonica, and, and they've got to still be hurting. They're still bearing probably visible wounds on their backs from the, the beating that they've had. And they go into Thessalonica and they ask around and they find where the synagogue is, which is where the Jewish people are, which is where they always started. They go into the synagogue and the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that for three weeks they met with the Jews and began talking to them about the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the one who was promised to come. And of course the Jews were interested in this. And then he, he says, I need to tell you, he's come. This Jesus that I'm talking to you about, he is the Messiah. Remember uh, Hebrew words, Messiah, same as the Greek word Christ, which we get our word Christ from. So he's saying Jesus is the Christ. He is the one who has come to save us from our sins. And he explained to them, you know, how we have all sinned against God and, and how God loves us and sent his son to come into the world to be our savior, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, rising again from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And how we personally can respond to Christ in this. How we personally can acknowledge our need and make a decision by faith to receive Christ as Savior. Well, the Bible tells us that some of the Jewish people there in that synagogue did that. Some of them did receive Christ as Savior. And then um, it says that there were a lot of non-Jewish people, but who had become interested in the Jewish God, who heard this and they got saved. A whole bunch of them. And remember there were some people, well-known women it talks about, who you know maybe were, uh, had businesses or were married to somebody who was uh, famous or whatever. A good number of them received Christ as well. And so this creates a real uproar. It's exciting for, for these Jews who have believed and for all of these Gentiles who've come to Christ and, and everybody's talking, wow, did you know this person did that and that person? Really excited. Well, the Jews who did not believe were really unhappy. They were jealous. And so they began to stir up trouble. And they went to the authorities, and actually they went to one of the houses of these Christians, 
this would have been probably over the next two months this happened. And they went to one house, these Christians looking for Paul and Silas because they were going to drag Paul and Silas out and do them harm and take them to the police and all this. Well, instead, they couldn't find them, so they grabbed some of the other Christians and took them there. And they're complaining that these people who've turned the whole world upside down have come here too. And they're turning our world upside down. They're saying there's another king besides Caesar. You've got to worship Jesus, and, and, which was true. And so they, they made them pay bail and let them go. But that very night, the Christians got a hold of Paul and Silas and said, you got to go. You got to go. We're sending you on. You have to leave because they, you remember what happened to Philippi? It may be worse this time. And they sent them away. And so they left. So here the missionary shows up in town. Three weeks he's in the synagogue. Lots of people start getting saved. They're outside the synagogue. Now all this happens and within three months, the missionaries are gone. And there are some really angry people there, people angry with Christians. Now, from a human perspective, what's the prognosis for that group of Christians? It's not good, is it? You know, they're, they're going to be, you, you expect them to be uh, lost, not, I, mean, I don't mean lost unsaved, I mean, but lost as far as what do we do and how do we proceed and there's this persecution coming against them. And so, that's what you would expect. But as we began our sermon series, Persuaded, because it talks about they were people who were persuaded about Christ there. As we looked in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, he says to them that God has done amazing things in your life. They have such an awesome reputation, their faithfulness in working, their love motivation, the fact that they're willing to work hard and and deal with the difficulties that are there, all those things. And he said, it's it's, it's so amazing because when we go places and we want to tell them what God has done and we start to tell people about you guys, they say, oh yeah, we've already heard of them because their reputation as this church had gone before them. And so it's an amazing thing. How in the world could that have happened? I mean, we saw that when people come to Christ, they're profoundly changed, right? We are profoundly changed deep down on the inside. And that leads to what the Thessalonians did. That leads to a turning away from anything that's not consistent with God and who he is and my relationship with God and turning away from that and turning to the Lord and and gaining from him all of the things that we uh, really need deep down inside. And so that was what was going on. They were profoundly changed. But once again, how could this happen? Was it because some human being had a great marketing strategy? No. Was it because they had some, you know, perfect organizational structure and that's what took care of it? No. Was it because uh, Paul and Silas were such great preachers and teachers? Well, we might have said that if they were still there. (laughs) But they weren't there anymore. The only way this happens is if the power of God is at work. That is the only way this kind of thing happens. And we started talking about that last week, but I want to continue to focus in on that this week. So let's go to our Bibles. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me think about this. Would you like to experience the power of God in your life today? Would you like to have this overwhelming sense that God is real in your life? You know, are there there habits that own you that you would like to see broken? 
Are there fears that just won't let go, you'd like to get free from, at least free enough to function from? Well, the power of God can make all these things happen. You know, I don't, I don't know all of you where you're coming from today. Some of you may be on a real high, things are going really well. It's a good chance that a bunch of us here are, are feeling pretty needy. You know, and we need something from God. We need him to work in our lives. The power of God we need to come and do something in our lives. In fact, let's just pray here. Father, I pray that you would come and speak to us today. You know where we're at, Lord. You know the people who are hurting and are very much aware of their needs. You know people here probably who maybe have needs and aren't really aware of them. And others, others, Lord, here who maybe are walking closely with you and experiencing these things. But Lord, I pray today you'd, you'd show us from your word something that's very, very important if we want to experience your power at work in our lives. So speak to us today through your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so First Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to... Uh, take one of the Bibles out of the bottom of the chairs there and follow along. We're going to be on page 1357 to begin with, page 1357. So Paul continues his letter here, and the first 12 verses of his letter, he's reminding them, he says, hey, you remember when we came to you and how we cared for you? And, and he, he just really lays out his heart to them that, you know, we loved you, we worked hard to, to be there and to provide for our own needs so you didn't have to worry about that. And we were like a nurse caring for you and, and, and cherishing you. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, the last uh, four verses of the chapter, he talks about how these, these Thessalonians, how he feels about them, that, that they are enough reward for him. In other words, he says, when I get to heaven, and I'm thinking about what my reward is going to be for coming to you, to Thessalonia, what, what is going to be my reward is the fact that you're there. Paul loved these people. But let's read, starting in verse 13. And see about, because he's continued to talk to them about how God changed their lives. Verse number 13, he says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. The word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of, of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So God is dealing with that in them. But in verses 14 through 16, he reminds them, do you see the context in which they got saved? I mean, I, all of us here who've come to Christ, and it's possible somebody here I don't know, but I think all of us who came to Christ here never really gave it a thought that we might get killed because we came to Christ. I thought my folks might not be happy. And there was some truth to that at the time. 
You know, we have some words like that, but we aren't, we didn't experience this. But this is how they, where they got saved in the middle of a place with people who killed people when they had the opportunity who became Christians. So again, the question, how could they have become this church that they did? How could they have become these people? It had to be the power of God. And so Paul tells us here something, though, about how they experienced what enabled them to experience the power of God. And so let's look back at verse 13. This is what we really want to see today. He says again, for this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. That's the key. That's what really, really was at the center of it. And there are other factors here, but without this, what Paul tells us here, they would not have experienced the power of God in their lives. Without this, they would not have survived as a church. Without this, many of them would have never probably even ended up being saved. And so let's, let's, let's talk about what this verse teaches us here from, from the Bible. The first thing I want to focus on, and I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute, but he says, not as the word of men. You need to understand this, and I think you do, probably most of us here today, right, would say, agree with this, but this is not just the word of men. It's not. Are you with me on that? Okay. And, and I grew up in a, uh, a religious persuasion uh, Protestant persuasion where there were some people who believed this was more than the word of men, but there were a bunch of people who didn't. They believed it was just the word of men, human beings' words. And, and so their whole focus, well, if it was written by men, there must be what in it? Anybody known a perfect person besides yourself? No, we don't. We, we know people make mistakes, don't we? We understand that. And so we think that, okay, if this was written by men, there would be mistakes in it. And if men were the, if human beings were the only factor, would we be right to conclude that? Sure, there's probably a mistake in here someplace if it was just men. But it wasn't just men. Now, think about this. If there is a God who created everything that exists, and there is, right? But if there's that kind of God, and we look at the enormity of what exists and we look at the complexity of what exists and how it all works together. I mean, and on, we go on with the list, you know, the, the smaller we go, the more we find out, the bigger we go, the more we find out. And it's just amazing. If there's a God who is behind this and created it, and by the way, that's the only thing that makes sense. But if there's a God who did that, would it be a hard thing for him to make sure that what got written down was what he wanted written down? Wouldn't be hard at all, would it? Okay, so this idea of it's written by men, there must be mistakes, is, is only true is if there is no God involved. But there is a God involved, right? And so some people say it's just written by men, therefore there must be mistakes. And other people say, well, yeah, there's a spiritual dynamic to it. It's, a, it's opinions of men, right? There's nice sayings in there and there's some good wisdom and some nice teachings and things like that. Uh, but, you know, we need to understand something that when we look at the New Testament, 
If we, let, let's say we set aside for the moment that it's the scriptures, that it is from the word of God, and we say, well, hey, here's an ancient writing, let's look at it, let's evaluate this ancient writing and see what, whether it's, we can rely on it or not. When you do that, the New Testament meets every test for authenticity for ancient writings. And many, many, I mean, thousands more times than any other ancient writing. Okay, and there's tests we can provide. And what we end up with seeing that the New Testament, if nothing else, is historically accurate. Well, here's where that takes us. If the New Testament is historically accurate, that means that Jesus did what? What? He really lived and rose from the dead. I've been to plenty of funerals. I've led plenty of funerals. I've never seen anybody come back to life which I'm really glad about, <laughs> sort of. That didn't come out right. If there's some people I'd love to see. But, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? I mean, that would, if all that would get our attention. Anyway, uh, people don't do that. But Jesus said, I'm going to come back to life. And he did. He said, you can you know, trust me that I am who I say I am and that God is, God. all that stuff, if I come back to life, I can tell you, and he did. Well, this Jesus who came back to life tells us, he, he talks about the, the Old Testament scriptures and he believed them. He believed there was an Adam and Eve. He believed there was a Jonah who got swallowed by a great fish. He believed in the creation story. And a number of things we can look at like that. The one who rose from the dead. I think I'll go with him. Next time someone says to you, well, you know, I don't think the New Testament's accurate. I say, well, have you risen from the dead lately? If they say no, okay, well, I'm going with the one who rose from the dead, okay? And, and we don't have time here today to, to search that out. There's some great resources that we could point you to if you need it. Others say, well, the Old Testament, you know, that's outdated. It's, it needs to be discarded. Only the New Testament matters. That's what we need to pay attention to. But when Jesus was talking about the scriptures, there was no New Testament, right? Jesus believed the Old Testament, when the Apostle Paul wrote a verse later on we're going to look at when he's talking about all scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament as well as any scriptures that God was giving then. And so what we have here cannot just be the word of men. And it isn't. And it's really important that we see that because we as Christians can be coming to church all the time and if I ask you, do you believe the Bible's the word of God? You go, oh yeah, sure, I do, I do. Well, the question then becomes, do you treat the Bible as though it's really the word of God? And that's what we want to drill down here a little bit today. Because this is what Paul says the distinction was for these folks. That when the word of God came to them, they did not receive it as though it was just the words of men. So let's, let's drill down on this a little bit here. First, let's talk about what we mean by the word of God, because this is what he says. He says, you receive the word of God. And over here, he gives the word of God, what it is in truth. What do we mean by the word of God? Well, 2 Timothy, let's actually turn in our Bibles a couple pages. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's page 1368 in the Bible that's in the pew, 1368. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and a lot of you are really familiar with these verses, I'm sure. We start in verse 16, he says this, all scripture. Now, let's, this is pretty simple. Do you guys mind when I do grammar lessons on Sunday morning? Any of you young people wish I wouldn't do that? 
This is the easy one. When it says all scripture, how much scripture does it mean? Some of you are really sharp this morning. (laughs) The rest of you. Okay, do you know what the Greek word means for that? All. Okay, so all scripture. And at this time, that would have been the Old Testament. And Jesus told the disciples, hey, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna remind you the things you need to know and need to say. And, and the Bible tells us that, that they did. And so it's all scripture, the Old Testament and the New. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, nobody just sat down and wrote this with their own thinking. God inspired them. God really breathed life into what they were writing. He guarded over what they were writing. He made sure that they wrote what he wanted written and they did not write what he didn't want written. And he used their vocabularies to do it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That's the things that we teach and believe. For reproof, that's when you say, hey, that's not right. Don't do it that way. For correction, do it this way. And then for instruction and in righteousness. Now as you go forward, let's, let's keep going this way. So can you see that picture what the word of God does? Okay, it provides a foundation, this doctrine. We believe this, okay? And it's this whole foundation of beliefs that we know and believe. And then it's for reproof. It says, so if you're headed this direction and this is the wrong direction in life, what is the word of God? What's it profitable for? It's profitable for saying, hey, wait, wait, stop. That's not the right direction. And then some, you ever do this with your kid? Correction? Anybody else ever do that with your kid? That way. Oh, okay. And now as you're going, you're saying, okay, here's how you do this, and here's how you go, instruction and righteousness. And what's the end, the end goal here? Verse 17. That the man of God, and, and that's a generic use of the word man, men, women, people of God, may be complete. That means not lacking anything, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so he's telling us here that all scripture has been given by God to enable us to be able to do every good thing that God wants us to do, to live our lives the way God wants us to lie. And so he says, again, how much of scripture is inspired? All of it. Now Proverbs chapter 30, verses four and five tells us this. It says, every word of God is pure. Every what? Every word of God is pure. Uh, do not add to his words because God, when these people wrote, he led them to write the exact words that he wanted written. The words themselves given by God, chosen by God. All of the words together, chosen, given by God. And Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 2 telling us uh, about this. He says that above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture, and by prophecy in Scripture, he's talking about anything that anybody has written, thus says the Lord, in Scripture, he says, none of it ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. See, this is what the Bible is. This is from God. God is the one who has given it to us. And, and we understand it's written a different language and it's been translated, translated accurately into our language. And, and so this has the same attributes that the, it was when it was originally written. This is the word of God. Now, what I want you to see is the power of God that the Thessalonians experienced. Let's go back to page 1357. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
what we experience and how they experience the power of God in their lives. Again, here in verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, right? We settled that. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Then he says, which also effectively works in you who believe. So it is effective. It does its job. And so how was the power of God activated in their lives? When they began to look at the Bible, the scriptures, and see this is God's word. This is what God has said. And so here's what I want you to to really nail down in your head today here, in your heart. To activate God's power in your life, treat the Bible as God's word for your life. Treat it as God's word. And I probably could have turned this around and said, if you'll just treat the Bible as God's word for your life, it'll activate his power in your life. Then by activate, I don't mean that the power of God is this separate thing over here somewhere and you and I can turn on the switch. I don't mean that. When I say activate, I mean God's power is there. He wants to work in your life. And that can become a reality when you begin to treat the Bible as God's word. It's not just another book. I mean, so, so let's, let's talk about these things a little bit. If God showed up here today, I mean, he's here, we know that, but if he showed up in human form today and we knew it was God and he said, I have something to say to you. Would you say, hang on, let me get a cup of coffee? He might say that, go get a cup of coffee, I need to talk to you. Um, But man, if God has something to say to us, wouldn't we want to say, oh, okay, right? Why? Because this is, this is God, you better listen. Okay, we would do that. And this is what the Thessalonians did. They says they received the word of God. Paul says, when we were preaching to you, we're bringing the word of God to you. We're telling you the word of God. And he says, you received it. You, 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 you sat up and listened. You, you took it in. You, you paid attention. So you know what I need, you and I need to do if we want to experience the power of God in our lives? We need to begin listening to God on purpose. We need to begin looking to his word. Not just as something we do, but look into it on purpose because we want to hear from God because God has spoken to us there. So to activate God's power in your life, you've got to treat the Bible as God's word for your life. Uh, always remember, it's not just words. We already saw this. It's not as the word of men. You know, what you believe about someone who's talking affects how you listen to them, doesn't it? I teach a speech class for, uh, two speech classes actually, for homeschoolers. Um, and we talk about old Aristotle, that old, old guy, his means of persuasion. And, and one of the things, if you've heard, it's ethos, pathos, logos. Don't worry about all that. Ethos. We get our English word ethical and ethics from it. But ethos, it talks about the speaker's credibility. You know, how do you come across? What do people think of you? Because we say that is going to affect how they listen to you. All right? So if we think that this are just words of men, how's it, how are we going to listen to it? Uh, we'll get to it when we feel like it. I didn't have time today to pay attention to what the words of men were. 
Wow, that kind of starts to hurt, doesn't it? Because sometimes don't we do that with the Bible? And treat it like the words of men. But see, they did not do that. And because they didn't, they were able to engage with the power of God. He says instead, not as the words of men, but you, you welcome it, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Well, what do you believe about God? Does God know all there is to know? Does God know everything you need to know? Does God know everything that you need to know that you don't know yet that you need to know? He does. He knows it perfectly inside out. Uh, how important is God in your life? And does God care about you and your best interests? Always he loves you. So the one who knows everything about everything, knows everything about you, he cares about you deeply. He is God. Should that change how we approach the Bible? Man, maybe I better say I do need to get in my Bible today. God said something to me and I need to find out what is it? I need to get in there and get after that. Uh, see, because th the way you're going to experience and activate the power of God in your life is when you begin to treat the Bible as though it really is the word of God for your life. Okay? Very important. And I, I really like this, how they say it here. He says, you know, you receive the word of God, which you heard from us. You, you see where I am here? Follow along with me. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you, what's the next word? You guys there? You welcomed it. You welcomed it. You know, that, that's a whole big attitude thing, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know how you guys come in. To this. I mean, a lot of you come in, and I brag on you. If you don't, I hope you don't mind. You know, I, I was bragging to somebody this week. I was away working at a speech and debate tournament and was talking to somebody about my church, my church, God's church, our church. And I said, they are such an awesome group of people to, to preach to because it seems like they really pay attention. Uh, and so this idea of welcoming the word of God. I want to hear the word of God. I want to hear what God says. Have you ever had anybody show up at your door that you saw who was there and you just weren't so thrilled? You didn't feel very welcoming? Have you, is there anybody in your life you think that if they showed up at your house today, you would be so excited and so thrilled that they had shown up? You would what? Welcome them because of who they are. Well, we need to welcome God's word into our lives. This is God who is speaking into our lives. So it's important that this is how we're gonna experience the power of God in our lives when we begin to treat the Bible as though it really is God's word for our lives. So they, they welcomed them in. Um, so let's talk about this, some practical ways to welcome God's word into your life. And, and, and so to have that welcoming attitude, it is God's word, I wanna hear it, I wanna know it. How, how can I do it? Well, the first thing you, you really have to do for this to experience the power of God in your life as the word of God comes in, as, as Paul said, it works effectively in you. If you're gonna experience the first thing you gotta do is you gotta say yes to God. You gotta say yes. This is the idea. I, we will do what? We surrender to the Lord. That's the first thing of the things we do, right? We surrender to the Lord. And so we have to start out saying, okay, God, whatever you say, I've already accepted as true. 
And if it means I need to do something, I already say, okay, that's what I need to do. And that's the attitude we come. I mean, face it, how would you feel if you had children, and let's say they're a teenager, and they came to you and said, uh, you know, mom or dad, listen, I want to know what you think I should do. And then I'm going to consider it. And if I agree with you, I'll do it. Oh, you're going to sit down and have a nice talk? I don't think so, right? Well, who are we to come to God and say, God, tell me what your thought is and I'll consider it. So we need to settle this. We need to surrender it. If this is God's word, we're talking about treating it as though it really is God's word for our lives. We need to settle that. Okay, God, whatever you say is true. And I may not always understand it and I got to work on it, but whatever you have said is true. I surrender to you in that. Then you have to make it a point to be hearing it. Hear it on a regular basis. And by hear it, it's what you're doing here today. You need to, to, to make being when the, the word is being taught or preached a high priority in your life. Get there, hear it. Because you've got to understand, when Paul's talking about the word of God here to the Thessalonians, they didn't have one of these. They didn't have one of these. Right? The church might have had a copy of the Old Testament. And so they had to come to hear somebody talk about it. Part of God's plan. Okay, so you need to be hearing it regularly. Then you need to be, since we do have, what a blessing that we have this Bible. By the way, this whole story is on how we have this Bible, what God did. But you need to be then reading this, some sort of regular basis. Not because, oh, I'm a Christian, I got this list of things I got to do. That will never activate the power of God in your life. It's, wait a minute, this is God's word. I need to be reading it. Because I need to know what God says. I need to see the world the way God says. You know, on and on. I, I, I could camp here. But I want to tell you, by God's grace, somebody taught me this right after I came to know Christ as Savior as a 19-year-old college student. And I began reading five chapters a day, which in two years I read through the Bible three times. The first two years of my Christian life. And that laid such an awesome foundation so many things, and it took me 10, 15 minutes a day to read that. So you need to be reading it. Then you need to be studying, and that's where the, the reality is. How, how many of you ever picked up the Bible and read it and go, cool, I don't understand a word it's saying, right? That still happens to me sometimes, okay? And so we need to study. That's where we, we begin to do some research. Maybe we do, you know, we look things up on our own. We get some books online. Be careful online. Uh, all of these things, but then we need to get together and study the word of God with God's people. By the way, life group is an excellent way to do that, to get together with other Christians, sit down and talk about the word of God and what it means in our lives. But you need to be studying it, growing in your understanding of that. Now, next thing I'm going to tell you, it's not a requirement, but let me tell you, it'll make a huge difference in your life. You need to be memorizing it. And, and by the end of this year, I expect all of you to have memorized from beginning to end. Of course not. But you know, if you work someplace and they have a certain statements or things about your work and what's going on there, they expect you to know that, don't they? So we commit certain things to memory. We commit to things to memory that are important to us. And so as you go through the Word of God and you find something that really applies to you and your situation, you say, wow, that would really be good if I had that memorized. And so you work on memorizing it. Now, um, this is another thing I would say to you. The, uh, I look back a number of years ago and I... 
I've, I've debated whether to say this or not because it can always come across wrong, but I just want you to say that, tell you that somebody, someplace, more than one people taught me, memorize the word, memorize the word, memorize the word. And over the, probably the first 20 years of my Christian life, I memorized over 1,400 verses of scripture. Sounds like a lot, but it's not. You know what that is? One and a half verses a week. That's it. But what I tell you is that memorizing all that scripture changed me. It changed the way I thought about things. It changes what comes to mind when an issue comes up. It is huge. It, it makes a big difference. And it, what I'm discovering is, is the younger you are in here, the more scripture you need to be memorizing because when you get to be my age, it's harder to memorize it. I can still memorize it. I sit down some days and work on a verse and work on it and memorize it. Man, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. And I wake up the next day and say, what verse was that? That's not a bad thing because you know what? God's still changing me as I work on it. Doesn't matter whether I remember it the next day or not. Work on memorizing the scripture. Then you need to be meditating on it. Meditating on it means the idea of thinking about it. Talking to God about it. Chewing on it, okay? Every now and then you bring that up and thinking about it. By the way, that's why memorizing and meditating go so well together. Uh, but the, the Bible has some awesome promises about meditating on the word of God. Psalm uh, chapter one, it talks about the godly person, says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and the result is he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Leaf doesn't wither and, look at this, and whatever he does will prosper. Do you know that's like the first verses I memorized? And God has prospered me. And I'm not talking about I'm rich. I don't mean that. I mean, but he's prospered me in life. Meditating on it. And then the last, and this is crucial, we need to tie this sort of a loop up. You got to do then what you find in the word. What it says you got to do. And we really already settled that, didn't we, in the beginning? Because what did we say in the beginning? Yes. I will do. But what's going to happen when you begin to take this seriously? It's no more just haphazard. It's no more, oh, yeah, it's part of my life. No, it's, this is so important. This is what God is speaking to me. I'm going to welcome this as his word to me. As the verse said, he says, it will work effectively in you. It will change you in awesome ways. Sometimes fast, sometimes slowly and surely over a period of time but you will experience the power of God. You will experience the power of God in his word. But the only way that's gonna happen, you have to treat the Bible as though it really is God's word for your life. And if we all do that and we do that as a church, let me just say to you, one of the things that we have guests say to us from time to time, and it, it was, for a long time, it was a real puzzle to us in, in the church leadership because we would talk, and these are people who have gone looking churches to churches to churches, and they come and say, yeah, I really like it here because you, you guys preach the Bible. And I'm always like, what else are they doing out there? But just know that this is why we do this every Sunday. Because we want to see the power of God activated in the whole church. And the only way that's going to happen is if we as the whole church always make it a point to treat this as though it really is 
God's word for our lives. And I said that earlier that, that activating the power of God starts with saying yes. And I haven't talked much about it today. But you have to have a personal relationship with Christ. You have to say yes to him in that. If you have any questions about that, please talk to us. Write me one of those communication cards and drop it off at the back and say, I have questions about that. And we will sit down and talk with you about that and share Christ with you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word as we've talked about today. I pray that we will not be nonchalant about it or or, uh, complacent about it, but that we would remind ourselves every day that you have communicated with us. You have spoken to us in your word and, and that we every day, every week will make it a point to listen to you. We will welcome your word as being from you. And I pray we'll settle right now that whatever you say, We're going to do our best to do it. So many more things we could say, Father. I trust that you have spoken to us here today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.